The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Merry Christmas. It's so great to have you here celebrating today with us. We are here to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. And there's a little detail in Luke's telling of the Christmas story. Luke's account of the birth of Jesus that he tells in Luke chapter 2. A little detail that, that if we catch it, if we see it, if we pay attention to it, opens up for us profound truth in this story about this idea of God with us, the profound truth about who this God is and how he is with us. A little word that, that Luke repeats three times in, in telling this story, and, and I'm going to read it for you. I don't want you to pay attention. I want you to listen and, and see if you catch it. Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch of their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you you will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Did you hear it? One little word repeated three times. Now, the character names in the story get repeated. The, the name David gets repeated, but the little word, manger. Luke uses this word, and I believe he uses it very deliberately three times to place an emphasis on who this God is who has come to be with us and how it is that he is with us. And so in the few minutes that we have together, I want to give you something of a, a theology of the manger. What does the manger tell us about who God is and how he is with us? And I think the first thing that we see that we recognize in thinking about the significance of the manger in this story is that God is with us in our ordinary. God has come to be with us in our ordinary. There's a, a sort of growing consensus among New Testament scholars that maybe our picture of what happened at the nativity scene is a little bit skewed. 
And, and the sort of misunderstanding that's been passed along through the generations actually has something to do with a, a, a mistranslation of a Greek word into English and a misunderstanding of the cultural backdrop that actually helps us to see something a little bit different than maybe what we've imagined. That, that um, we sort of have this picture that Mary and Joseph are going through Bethlehem and knocking on the door of the Bethlehem Inn. And, and, and the angry innkeeper, the, the heartless innkeeper comes out and tells them, no room for you in the inn. Now, I gotta just tell you, if you played the innkeeper in the uh, childhood uh, Christmas pageant, I hate to burst your bubble, but there's no innkeeper in the story, right? We never get reference to the innkeeper in the story. And, and part of that is this little word that gets translated in the King James Version as in is the Greek word kataluma. And uh, probably a better translation is what we find here in the NIV. There was no guest room available for them. That the, that the word that's used here um, refers to most often an, an extra room that would be on the back of the house or on the roof of a house. That um, there is another word that's used for a place that you would go and pay money to get access to a room. Luke uses that word in Luke chapter 10 when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. But the, the word that he uses here is a word for a room and a house where a family would receive guests. See, peasant families in this part of the world in that day just lived in a big one-room house. It might have a couple of levels, a lower level that would be used for cooking and where the animals would be kept because they didn't have space where they would keep the animals outside. They would actually bring the animals into the house at night and they would have mangers there inside that big open room where they would feed the animals. They would bring the animals in and then the family would sleep in the upper level of the house and then they might have this tacked-on guest room in the back or on the roof and the picture that we have here is there's no guest room available. The, the, the house is already filled. And see, here's where the other nuance of this comes in, is that in the first century world, it would be unthinkable that Mary and Joseph would go to Joseph's family hometown and not go stay with the family, right? You and I may go to visit grandparents or, or in-laws, and it'd be perfectly um, acceptable, maybe even expected, that we would get an Airbnb and stay somewhere nearby, but not in the first century world. You go and you stay with your family. And so I think you put it all together. The picture that we get is Mary and Joseph show up to their family home and it's already packed out to the max. The family has all gathered there. I was talking with uh, Andy and Alice, our beloved uh, Pastor Emeritus, Pastor Andy. They have all their kids and all their grandkids in the house right now. 15 people crammed into their house, right? That's the picture that we actually have here of the whole family that's gathered together in this home that it's filled and overflowing and Mary and Joseph show up there and the baby is born. And of course, as they're there, the only place to, to lay the baby is in this manger, a, a feeding trough, a, a wood or stone device that was used to, to hold hay and other things that you would feed to the animals. And Jesus is laid in the feeding trough. And I think that when you put together this picture it speaks to the idea that God has come to be with us in the midst of our ordinary lives. Certainly the birth of a child is something out of the ordinary, but it happens in the middle of an ordinary home, in the middle of an ordinary family. The newborn is placed into an ordinary manger, that God has come to be with us in our ordinary everyday lives, that he wants to be with you in the mundane details 
of your life. And each and every day, in each and every moment, each and every experience that we have, we're either inviting God into that experience or we're closing him out. But he's come to be with you in the midst of your ordinary life. The second thing that I think the manger in this story reminds us of is that God has come to be with us in our struggle. God has come to be with us in our struggle. The manger is the reminder that this child is born into poverty, in a small town, in an occupied land. The child isn't born into privilege, but into struggle. And that's good news for any of us who struggle. I was reminded this week uh, of the classic Christmas children's story, the best Christmas pageant ever. My buddy Ben talked about it and reading it to his girls. And, and it just reminded me, it took me back to this uh, fun little story. It's a story about a, a church Christmas pageant that everybody is concerned is going to go completely off the rails because it's overtaken by the Herdmans. This band of six poor, dirty, neglected kids from a, a rough story, a rough background, and they come into the story and everybody's afraid of them because we're told in the opening lines of the book that they are the absolute worst kids in the history of the world. They lied and they stole and they smoked cigars, even the girls. They talked dirty and they hit kids and they cussed and their teachers uh, they cussed their teachers and they took the name of the Lord in vain and they set fire to Fred Shoemaker's old broken down tool house. Right? The, the, the herdmans have arrived on the scene and they've taken over. They muscle their way into the best parts in the play. And then they're astonished as they begin to hear the details of the Christmas story, uh, including Imogene, who's uh, picked to play Mary, that she suggests as she's hearing the story told that Joseph ought to beat up that innkeeper to give the son of God a real room. And then she hears about the swaddling clothes and the manger. And she says, you mean they tied him up and they put him in a feed box? Where was child welfare? <laughs> but then the night of the play finally arrives. And what's happened is the herdmans have been transformed by this story. And the story concludes with Imogene walking in and sitting and holding the baby Jesus. And she begins to softly weep tears streaming down her face because she's come to see that the God of this story sees her in her struggle and has not left her alone in it, but that he has entered into it. The God of this story has entered in to be with us in our struggle. So friends, I don't know what struggle you may be going through right now, but he sees you. And he has not left you alone in it. That he has entered into our world of struggle to be with us in our struggle. The God of this story is the God who is with us in our ordinary, the God who is with us in our struggle, and finally, the God who is with us in our mess. Right? This is a, it's a messy story. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of gross when you start to think about it. The, the, the baby is laid in a, a animal feeding trough. I think about when my kids were born, especially my oldest, my firstborn, Will, when, when we were in the hospital and those first few days, we're there in the hospital and everything is pristine. Everything is so sanitized, so clean. And, and I was terrified driving that little one home to our house because I knew our house wasn't nearly as clean as the hospital. 
Right? You, you, you just want to have everything so pristine, and yet there's nothing pristine about this story at all. Baby Jesus is laid in a trough that's used to feed animals. Some of you have heard me tell stories about spending time on the farm, on my grandparents' farm growing up, and there was a time where we had a couple of old horses on the farm, Rocky and Princess. And one of the things that I loved to do was to feed them sugar cubes. You take a sugar cube and you put it right in the palm of your hand, and you have to kind of arch your hand to, to, to make sure there's no way they can get a hold of your fingers in the process, right? So you arch your hand back, and you hold that sugar cube, and they just come, and they take it right out of your hand. Now, the thing about that is, is that you had to know going in that when you were feeding sugar cubes to the horses, you were going to end up with horse slobber all over your hands, right? It's just part of the deal. And and so you think about that, and then you think about this, and you recognize here is the Son of God covered in amniotic fluid and goat slobber, <laughs> right? Placed into a feeding trough, which is just a reminder of the reality that there is no length to which this God will not go to rescue us that he has come into this world, that he is placed in the manger, that the angels are uh, declared to the shepherds. They tell them that this one that's lying in a manger is the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord. The Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord laid in a manger. The story of his life begins with what seemed like the lowest of the low. But the culmination of the story ends even lower. The Apostle Paul writes about this in the great Christ hymn of Philippians chapter 2 when he says of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and, and being laid in a manger. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. This story begins with what seems like the lowest of the low, but its culmination is even lower. This is how this Savior saves. This is how this Messiah fulfills the promises of God. This is how the Lord demonstrates his reign. From matchless glory to a feeding trough to the hideous agony of the cross. And yet, because of his willingness to do this for you and for me, Paul goes on to say, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day when this will happen, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that this one who was laid in a feeding trough is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that his name is above every name. There is coming a day when that will be the de declaration of all and there's an opportunity that we have today an opportunity for us today to recognize and to make this declaration that Jesus is the name above every name, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Savior, 
that he is Messiah and that he is Lord, who was laid in a manger, who was hung on a cross in order to demonstrate God's love for you and for me, in order to rescue you and me from our sin, that he has come to enter into the ordinary of our lives, that he's come to enter into the, the, the mundane, that he's come to enter into the mess that we have made of our lives and of the world. We are sin-sick people living in a sin-scarred world. We've turned against God and gone our own way. The Bible says we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to their own ways. And yet Jesus came to rescue us from the mess that we've made of our lives and of the world. And we have this opportunity today to worship him in response. The manger tells us so much about this God who came to be with us, with us in our ordinary, in the details of our lives, with us in our struggle, no matter what it is that you're going through, he sees you and has not left you alone. And with us in our mess, the mess that we have made of our lives and of this world. He came to show you that he is with you in the middle of it, and he came to give you a hope beyond it. And our response to this is worship. Will you join me as we pray? Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be together to worship the Savior who came into this world, who took on flesh to dwell among us, who's entered in to the suffering of this world, who's entered into the mess of this world, the struggle of this world, the mess and struggle of our lives. And God, I pray for any who might be here that you've brought to this place today to hear this word for them, that Jesus came to rescue them, to be with them, to set them free from the mess that they've made of their lives and of this world. God, for any who have not come to that place that they have trusted in what Jesus has done on their behalf through his cross and resurrection, that today might be the day that they would say, yes, Lord, I believe, I trust in Jesus and what he's done for me. The one who was laid in a manger and hung upon the cross, I trust in him that I may receive the gift of forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And God, for all of us who have trusted in Christ, may we in this season come to know him more deeply in the ordinary details of our lives. May we experience him present with us in solidarity in our struggles. And God, may we trust him to remake us, to heal us and to transform us and to make us more like him. And so, Lord, we thank you for this good news. And in response, we worship. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.